0: Hey, good to see you back in church after Easter. Uh, you know, some people fulfilled their religious obligation for the year, so they're sitting at home in their bed right now. Um, but welcome back to church. It's good to have you in the house of God today, and uh, I hope you're encouraged before you leave this place and you feel like it was worth the investment of an hour and a half of your time. Um, I'll just tell you what, man, the presence of God is like a bath sometimes, and you just hang out in the presence of Jesus like we just did in worship. I already feel a million times better than I did when I walked into this place. So hopefully that's been your experience as well. If not, um, things just go go take a shower, I guess, when you get home, and then you'll feel like you took a shower. That's great. Uh, today, we are starting a brand new series, and I, truth be told, I have no idea how long we're going to be in it. Uh, hopefully, that's not discouraging to you. We do have a plan, um, but I'm just really excited about this, and I feel the more I dig into it, the more I feel the Word of God is, uh, is revealing things about our community and about where we need to go, what we need to commit to as a family here at the Father's house, uh, but we are starting a new series today called Rooted. Somebody say, Rooted. Rooted. And, oh wait, there should be more to that graphic. That's okay, it's just a tree, it looks good. No, that's all we got? It's okay, Us oh, it's fine. It's, we're a set up and tear down church. Give us a break, okay? Uh, but it's a new series entitled Rooted. And um, I was talking with my wife over the last couple of weeks as we've been preparing for this. I've been thinking about this series since the beginning of the year and I've been really excited to, uh, to, to talk about it because um, I think the content is gonna be really helpful for us. But as we were talking about it, we couldn't decide on a name. We're like, do we go with like planted or like foundations or immovable? Uh, but we settled on this thought rooted because of its definition. The word rooted means to be firmly established it it carries with it the thought that I've planted myself somewhere or I've planted myself in some values or in some things and I've decided I will not be moved from this place this is foundational nothing's going to shift nothing's going to change this is who I am this is what I believed I am rooted in this And I believe that there are some areas in our spiritual journey, areas in our lives, where we just need to be able to make that kind of a declaration. This is what I stand for, this is where I'm rooted, and I will not be moved. Come hell, or high water, or any storm, this is where I'm gonna be, you will find me here, nowhere else. I'm planted here, and I'm rooted here. I think that that is is what all of us need to make a decision to do in our spiritual journey and with some of the truths of God's word. But, but here's what I know and here's what you know. Um, that concept is very countercultural. Like the idea of actually committing to something long term is very countercultural, especially here in the Bay Area. And I'm going to bash all of us here for just a moment. So bear with me. But think about the world you live in. Like we love options. We love the idea of not committing to something long-term. You won't even commit to a dinner party next Wednesday because you might go, ah, maybe something better will come along. We'll see. And then you'll tell Tuesday night if you'll show up to the dinner party. Sorry, that's just what I experience most of the time. Um, but, but even like, okay, relationally. Think about relationships. Right now, statistics tell us that people are getting married later in life than ever before. In their mid-30s, some into their early 40s. And I don't say that to depress you if you're in your mid-30s or your 40s and you're single. That's just the nature of the world that we live in right now. People are Or, oh, I gotta get my education squared away, I wanna get my life squared away, I wanna discover who I am, I wanna keep my options open in case I find a better person than the one I'm dating currently, like, then I'll settle down, and even if I do settle down, that in and of itself isn't permanent because if things don't go the way I thought they should or things kinda mess up a little bit, then we can just call it irreconcilable differences and we'll move on and find a new model. Ouch. That's the nature of the world we live in right now. Uh, Vocationally, especially here in the Bay Area, like the idea of committing long-term to a job where like, oh, I'm gonna stay here for 30 years and retire from this place, that's like a cuss word in, like, in Bay Area culture. Like, I'm not gonna commit to nobody. My resume is out there for everybody to see at all times. I'm waiting for the next startup. I'm waiting for the next tech company to headhunt me and poach me from this place and bring me to a new one. And whoever gives me the best in-office dining options and the better gym and some more stock options before the IPO, that's who I'm going with, okay? I'll stay here for like two years and then we'll move on. Is that a little too personal? Okay, okay, that's fine, it's cool. Um, How about physically? Like diet and exercise. <laughs> There's something we have a hard time committing to, right? And even if you are committed to diet and exercise, you're not committed to a program or a diet. It is like shifting sand, it moves all the time. A real conversation I had this week with three grown men, okay? We're, we're talking, and I said, hey, you know, you're looking good. Look like you lost a few pounds. What are you doing? Oh, bro. So like, uh, I was on this like keto diet for a little bit and then like I decided to switch from keto to like like, veganism but then I was like, oh, you know, I can't be a vegan because you know, I kind of like some meat. And so I went on this strictly protein diet and I just ate protein all the time. And then like, it's like nine diets a guy's tried in the last month. I'm like, I'm sorry I asked. And then I made the mistake of going like, well, are you doing any kind of exercise program? Oh bro. Bro, I just started into, like, Orange Theory. And, like, Orange Theory is, like, it's, like, hit. But there's also, like, you know, P90X in there. But then it's kind of, like, got some insanity mixed into it. And I'm, like, is this a math equation or, like, a torture device? Like, what are we talking about? Real conversations between my wife and some of her friends. Like, oh, I'm just doing bar right now. And then I might do some yoga, you know, because I feel like I need to stretch a little bit. But, you know, it's 80-day obsession. But then there's also T25. And then there's P90X3. And I'm, like, I failed algebra. Like, I don't. I don't know what to work out anymore, but no one commits to anything anymore. We can't commit to a relationship. We can't commit to a diet and exercise program. We can't commit to a job. We can't commit to a city. We can't commit to a church or the things of God or to prayer or to the words. Cause see, listen, when we live in a culture like this that refuses to commit to anything, it can make its way into our spiritual life. It can begin to permeate the way we think about prayer and the word, and giving, and attendance in church, and all those things that that God has really given to us as a gift to grow us and to bless us, but we treat it many times like our resume or our diet and exercise program, and, and we don't get rooted into it. But here's what I know to be true. I know that if we make some decisions to root ourselves in the Word of God and the principles of God, that the blessing on the other side of that is absolutely unavoidable. As we're gonna see, we go through this series, here's what you're gonna find those who are rooted always produce fruit. God wants your life to be fruitful. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have influence. He wants you to understand your purpose. He wants to bless your finances. He wants to bless your family. But all of that is the byproduct of rooting ourselves in the things of God and in the principles of God. And so for the subsequent weeks, we're gonna talk about some non-negotiables. Some things where I believe you shouldn't be for sale. Some things that shouldn't shift no matter what season of your life you find yourself in. Some things that we need to be rooted in because I don't want you to be a shaky Christian. I don't want you to be the kind of Christian that gets taken out when things get tough. I want you to be rooted in God, firmly established, saying, come anything that comes my way, I am going after Jesus. That's, that's my decision, that's who I am. So. Here's where we're going to start. Today, uh, we're going to start where you would start if you were to plant yourself or root yourself uh, in the dirt. Uh, If you were going to start an apple tree orchard, or you were going to start an orange tree orchard or whatever, uh, you would start by looking at the quality of the dirt you were going to plant yourself into. And so today we're going to look at the dirt. And uh, I'm going to title this sermon this morning, and we'll pray in just a second, Get Yo Dirt Right. Come on, turn to somebody next to you and say, get your dirt right. (laughs) Okay, now now say it like you're not white, okay? Like, get your dirt right. No, come on, get a little attitude in it. Like, get your dirt right. Like, get into it a little bit. Get your dirt right. (laughs) All right, calm down, let's pray and we're gonna get into this. Jesus, we love you this morning and we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate with people that are getting baptized in water and that have children on the way and so many stories of what you're doing in people's lives that we get to celebrate. And this morning, as we go to your word, I pray that you would do what you've promised to do. You said that as your word is sown, that it never returns void, that it always produces a harvest. And God, I pray over every heart represented in this room, from those that have never been to a church before, those that are checking us out, today, those who call this place home, regardless of where we're at in our spiritual journey, I pray that this word would land on good soil, and it would produce much fruit. God, transform us before we leave this place. And Lord, we also pray that at 1230, when the Warriors face off against the Houston Rockets, we just pray healing over Steph's ankle right now. We pray healing over Clay Thompson right now. And Boogie, We pray healing over Clay's three-point shot. And Lord, just today, I pray that there'd be victory in Jesus' name. Okay, amen. Amen. Listen, I got y'all here. We're gonna intercede. That's just what we do. This is the Lord's house. It will be known as a house of prayer. All right. All right, uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Luke, uh, chapter eight, and we're gonna go to verse four. And uh, I'll forewarn you before we start reading, this is a parable. And uh, a parable, all throughout the Bible, if you're new to the team here, is a fictional story that displays a spiritual truth. Kind of Chronicles of Narnia style, but in the Bible. Like a fictional story, this didn't really happen, but it's a fictional story that's telling us about something God wants us to get in our hearts. And the Bible says that Jesus used parables all the time to teach. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, it says that he never taught without telling stories, without using parables. And I love that about Jesus. I love that he didn't just stick to what it said in the Old Testament, but that he told stories to apply what he was saying to people's lives so that they could get it. And uh, if you're here and you've been coming to the church for a little while and you get angry that I tell a whole bunch of stories, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Luke chapter 8, verse... Four. Here's what it says. One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed, and as he scattered his seed across the field, some seed fell on the footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among the rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon withered and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants, and still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as it had been planted. When he would said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I think that's what he's saying to us this morning. Anyone with ears to hear should hear this and understand. So after Jesus tells this story, his disciples come to him and they're like, hey, Jesus, I know you said like people with ears to hear. just like, understand, we don't understand. So can you actually tell us what this parable means? And so Jesus picks up in verse 11 and he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message. They receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, somebody say deep roots, deep roots, they believe for a while, and then they fall away when temptation comes. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. And the seed that fell on good soil represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, they cling to it, and they patiently produce a harvest. So we're going to dive into this a little bit. Now, I mentioned it's a parable. And anytime you hear a parable in God's word, you have to ask yourself two questions because this, this, uh, this proves to be true in every parable. You won't be able to apply it without answering these two questions. Who am I in the story? And who is God in the story? Who's God and who am I? So I'll I'll give you some hints here. The Bible says that, according to this scripture, that Jesus himself is the farmer. He's the one who goes out and scatters the seed. So you're not the farmer. Furthermore, it tells us that the seed itself is the word of God. The, the, the rhema word of God, the spoken word of God. This is, this is uh, excuse me, the logos word of God, the spoken word of God. So what God has to say about any given situation you find yourself in. Rest assured today, whatever you're facing, God has something to say about it. He, his voice wants to speak into whatever you're walking through right now. So his voice, his word represents the seed. So we've got the farmer, we've got the seed. There's only one thing left, The dirt. <laughs> So, you're the dirt. Now, before you get offended and you're like, okay, why are you going to call me dirt? There is something worse than being dirt and that is my particular role in this whole scenario. Because the way that they would scatter seed and the reason some of this seed fell on the footpath and on bad soil is because they would take a bag of seed and they would lay it over the back of a donkey and then they would slit that uh, bag and the donkey would walk through the field and the seed would be scattered wherever the donkey walked. So the vessel whereby the word of God was being carried was a donkey. (laughs) So today, (laughs) I'm your resident donkey. Uh, if you prefer the old King James, uh, you can just call me Jack. Uh, and so, (laughs) so God's the farmer. His word is the seed. You're the dirt. I'm donkey. That's me. All right. So we're all, we're all clear on our roles in the story now donkey. Yeah, you got it. Okay. We all watch Trek. Thanks for that. Great. So, so we know our role in the story and according to the story that the seed that is sown is consistent. Nothing changes about the seed. It is a consistent variable in the equation. The only variable that changes is the dirt. There are four different kinds of dirt that Jesus uh, speaks about in this parable. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself as we go through these four different kinds of soil. Which dirt am I? What dirt do I most closely associate with? And a little hint, unless you would associate with the last dirt, you probably need to get your dirt right. You probably need to fix some things in our lives so that we can become the kind of dirt that produces the fruit in our lives that God wants to see. So, here it is. Number one, Jesus says there is some hard dirt. Hard dirt. Eight, uh, verse eight, excuse me, chapter eight, verse 12. It says, the seed that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing. So Jesus says that the hard dirt is like a footpath, and a footpath was not always hard dirt. It got that way after years of people stepping on it, walking that path for a consistent period of time. Eventually, that dirt was compacted to the point where it became the footpath incapable of receiving anything that tried to penetrate its surface. The hard dirt or hard heart people are those who already have a predetermination that I will not receive the word of God when it comes to me. I just reject it before it even has a chance to lodge itself in my heart. And that's not just the gospel. People might receive the gospel of forgiveness and the fact that Jesus loves them and isn't holding their past against them, but there are principles in the kingdom of God that people are predetermined to reject anytime they hear it. Anything that that doesn't align with their physical desires, anything that rubs their flesh the wrong way, anything that, that shakes up their current existence and would force them to make change, they have a hard, dirt heart that refuses to receive it. After doing ministry for 12 years, I can tell you this. There are a lot of hard, hard, hard dirt people in church. They just, they just exist in every context. And sometimes it's overt and we can see it. Other times it's subtle, but rest assured, there will be a moment where somebody on a stage says something that rubs you the wrong way. And in that moment, you get to determine, am I so hard that it's gonna be like preaching to a brick wall? Dink, I'm not receiving that. Or are we going to allow the word of God to change the way we live. When we started this whole thing out, uh, back in January of two thousand and eighteen, uh, before we ever launched in September of the same year, uh, we knew that when we started this church, we wanted to have a strong leadership culture. We wanted to have people that already understood how to worship and how to lead and how to usher in the presence of God and so uh, for, for many of us, I think there were sixty five uh, we spent five months training in this setting, doing something called church school and during church school, my wife and myself and our pastor, we would teach this launch team of sixty five people about principles that we wanted to see established in our church before we even ever ever opened the doors. Things like we want to create a culture where everybody is honored, and when they walk in the doors, they feel like it doesn't matter what their background is or where they came from or what they believe, but they would feel welcomed into the house of God. We wanted to establish a culture of excellence where we just don't do things halfway. We do it all the way. We do it with excellence. We do it well because excellence inspires people and it honors God. We wanted to establish a community of people. We had groups meeting in homes before we ever showed up on the scene, before we ever opened our doors, because we. wanted Wanted there to be family before anyone walked in the door so that they didn't feel like they had to create it, but they could walk into it and become a part of it from day one as a church. And we began to teach all these principles in church school. And there was this one couple in our church school who every single week on Tuesday night after we taught, they would come up to me with big old smiles on their face and they were like, Pastor Tim, we just cannot wait to be a part of this church plan. It's gonna be amazing. And we want to work on the setup and teardown team. That's the team we want to be a part of. Also, we call it the vibe team because that sounds way sexier than setup and teardown, but <laughs> the, the setup and tear And they were pumped. They're like, we're gonna show up at six o'clock, we're gonna unload stuff, we're gonna put it together, it's gonna to be amazing. And I'm like, I love you. I need people like you in my life all the time. Like they, they were so excited to serve. All until the one week where we got to talking about something that they had already determined they were going to reject. We got into this conversation uh, about halfway through church school uh, with the subject of generosity and giving. And we made this statement, taught for 35, 45 minutes on this. We said, the expectation for every leader that comes with us to plant this church is that you are a tither, that you understand what the word of God has to say about our finances, that we understand that everything God gives us is a gift and it is our response to give him back a 10th to tithe of our income to the house of the Lord. Not so that people can get paychecks because no one gets those around here, but because it's expensive to do church in San Francisco and we don't wanna shut the doors too early before God has a chance to do what he wants to do here. We want people to sow and invest in the house of God so that we have more than enough so that. that everybody who comes into the storehouse can be fed by the word of God. said, hey, if you're going to come to the house and you're going to be a leader, leaders give. They set a culture of giving. They set a culture of generosity. And I could see the second we started talking about that, five minutes in, this couple (sighs) started rolling their eyes, arms crossed. About halfway through the class, they're like whispering to each other. They're just like oh, sighing all the time. My like, gosh, this is really rude. I can see you. You're in the second row. <laughs> and as soon as the class finished, every week prior to this, they would come running up to us. Well, oh, Pastor Tim, we just can't wait to be a part of the church. It's gonna be amazing. They just bolted for the door. And that night, unsurprisingly, I got an email from them and they said, you know, we just don't feel like God is calling us to be a part of the launch team in San Francisco any longer. What is that? That's hard dirt. I wasn't preaching anything unbiblical. This was not my opinion. This was the word of God. It was a seed that God was trying to plant in their heart, but because of the hardness of their hearts, they were unwilling to receive the seed and therefore they are not producing a harvest in this area of their lives. And I used to get frustrated when that stuff would happen to me. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Talk about preaching to some brick walls all day long. Like, they don't wanna hear what you have to say. That's, that's, that, that is a hard-hearted group. And I remember years in getting really frustrated about the fact that I felt like nothing was changing in our youth ministry. And a friend of mine came up to me and he gave me this word and I've clung to it ever since. And I cling to it even now when I feel like things aren't landing on the soil I want it to. He said, hey, I was praying for you this morning and the Holy Spirit gave me a word for you. He said. Uh, I see a picture of you up there on the stage and you're preaching and you're trying to throw out seed from the stage. And as you're throwing out seed, it's like hitting hard ground and and it's not being received by the people that you're preaching to. He said, but that's because it's not your job to sow the seed. You're trying to do something that's God's job to do. He said, what you're doing up there is you're taking buckets of water and you're just chucking it out over the ground. And over time, that ground will become soft enough to receive what God wants to do. But don't take responsibility for something that isn't your responsibility. Your job is to just chuck the water out there until it's ready to receive God's word. And I've clung to that. So listen, if you're, if you're here today, And whether it's what I'm saying right now or what we said in weeks past or what I'm gonna say in a few weeks from now and you're like, I'm not ready to receive that. Well, just welcome to the splash zone. (laughs) I'm gonna just keep preaching the word of God and hope that one day the heart is ready to receive what God's word has to say about it because I want you to be fruitful. I don't want you to be stuck where you're at, incapable of receiving the blessing of the Lord because of a hard heart. Let his presence and his house and his word wash over you so that you can receive what he has to say, amen? Amen, Amen. Amen. all right, number two, uh, Jesus says, the second batch is the Rocky Dirt, the Rocky Dirt. Uh, Luke chapter eight, verse 13 says, the seeds on rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. So here we're told that there are people whose hearts are are a little rocky. They, They gladly receive what God's word has to say, thank you, Lord, for your word, I receive it, I'm gonna change, things are gonna be amazing. And then shortly thereafter, the second they are tempted in an area of their life that contradicts that word that they held on to, they fall into the temptation instead of staying rooted in what God's word has to say. It's the cyclical Christianity, the kind of Christianity that involves a whole lot of repentance for the same stuff, over and over and over and over again. The ever repenting, but never actually changing style of Christianity. And and according to the scripture here, the the source of that root being pulled up is their inability to deal with temptation, to not know how to overcome it. Now, I'm I'm not gonna spend a lot of time this morning talking about overcoming temptation because um, in our last series in the book of James, we actually taught an entire week on temptation, what it is and how to overcome it, and uh, I'm not saying this because I was the guy preaching it, but I think it was a pretty good message. And uh, if you are facing temptation in your life in an area where you don't feel like you can overcome it and you feel like you're falling down every single time you're tempted in that area, please go back and listen to it. The title of the message is Get Under It and it's on tfh.church. You can click on the podcast or on the videocast there and check it out and I think it'll help you out. But in that message, I mentioned the fact that temptation is an ever-present enemy. Chances are you're going to be tempted by the same thing over and over and over again in this life until you see Jesus. And and, and Jesus actually promised that in scripture. He said, you're gonna be tempted. You're gonna face trials in this life. And I know that's not like on the bumper sticker of your car or the one that you put on the mirror in the bathroom, like, I'm gonna be tempted today. It's gonna be awesome. Like, that's not the kind of thing we celebrate, but it's reality and we're all experiencing it. And we need to understand how to overcome temptation because according to this scripture, temptation is ultimately, or our ability to overcome temptation, is the indicator as to whether or not we've truly received God's word for our life. If we're truly allowing his word to change us and equip us, because if we just keep falling down and our roots never grow down deep, what we're saying is, God, I haven't fully received that word. It hasn't stayed there long enough to take root in my life. I'm not committed to change. Let me give you an example, and I've been beating up on you a lot, so let me beat up on myself. Um, My wife and I were going on vacation in a couple of weeks, and uh, we like to vacation near beaches, and so uh, we're going to an area where there is a beach, and we are keenly aware of the fact that we're gonna spend some time around each other in our bathing suits. And so we are working on the beach bodies right now, like it's important to us. Uh, I don't know why, by the way, we've been married for like 15 years, and like, this is what you get, but (laughs) apparently we're into looking better for each other. So uh, at the beginning of April, my wife said to me, "Hey." This month, no sugar. Sugar-free April in the Biddle household. And I'm like <laughs> Okay. So <laughs> we started the month out strong, literally for one day. All right? <laughs> April 1st, we had no sugar. April 2nd, we went out with my friend Manly over here somewhere. And uh, we went out with him and uh, his girlfriend. And uh, afterwards we discovered that they had never been to dandelion chocolates in the city. And so we felt it was our obligation to introduce them to dandelion chocolate. Like, oh, we'll just take a quick break from the diet and it'll be great. So then the next day, we got back strong for a few days and then we had a meeting at our house. And so my wife said, oh, we should make cookies for all the people that are coming over for the meeting. And my wife makes some incredible chocolate chip cookies. They're game changer. So see, yeah, facts, okay, facts. So she makes these chocolate chip cookies and she decides to make a whole bunch of extra batter because we're going to make cookies for our neighbors. We've never done that before, but apparently it was a good idea in the moment. What you need to know about me is if there's cookie dough in the fridge, (laughs) I'm eating that thing like ice cream, okay, while I'm watching television at nighttime. So makes the cookies, we break our diet again on day four, uh, and then I shovel down cookie dough for about the next week and our neighbors never get a single cookie. So then a couple of days ago, uh, she comes back to the house after being at her grandma's for a couple of days. and She's like, I stopped by my favorite grocery store and you know they sell our favorite chocolate cake and so I brought this chocolate cake home. <laughs> I'm like, what happened to no sugar in April? Like, I'm trying to get the beach body going here. What happened? We made a commitment to something at the beginning of the month and then we broke it. And then we made a commitment again and then we broke it. And when I faced temptation in the fridge, I broke it. And when chocolate cake was facing me in my living room, I broke, what, what is that? I think we've all done that in our faith, right? Where, God, I'm never gonna do it again. I promise this is the last time. Oh, but then the temptation comes and we slip up again. Listen, we have to be committed enough to do what God's word says we are supposed to do in order to overcome that temptation or else we end up rocky soil that can never really retain what God wants to do in our life. And every time those roots start to go down, It's only a matter of time before that temptation takes us out. So I'm going to leave you there with a little cliffhanger because I want you to go back. I don't have time to talk about it today, but please equip yourself to overcome that temptation. God has given you the power by the Holy Spirit to say no to that thing and to live in victory. It's not just a pipe dream. It's a reality for believers to live in freedom in Jesus' name. Check it out. All right. Number three. This is why I'm going to get in your business a little bit again. All right. This is going to be good. Uh, Crowded dirt. Crowded dirt dirt. I think this is the one that many of us fall into, and we we, we probably have found ourselves in seasons of this. Maybe you're here right now. Please don't hear Tim; hear the Holy Spirit today. I promise he wants to say something to you about this. Luke eight fourteen. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. Notice that last line. He didn't say that they aren't saved. He said that they never grow into maturity. It is a pubescent Christian, a Christian that never actually walks into maturity, walks into the fullness of what God has for them. They stay in this constant state of immaturity. Why? Because they live in crowded dirt. This is a deceiving one because it's not that they're not growing. It says that the the, the roots were deep enough to allow the plant to grow, it's just that there was some other stuff that was growing up with it at the same time. Some weeds and some thorns and some things that ultimately wanted to choke out what God wanted to do. It's settling for less than the fullness of what God has for you and saying, okay, this is where I'm at in my Christian journey. This is probably as good as it's going for me. This is it, like I'm, I'm okay here, but I'm allowing some other things in this life to grow up with my faith. And he calls them, Jesus, the cares, the pleasures, and the riches of this life. C-P-R, the cares, the pleasures, and the riches of this life. The C-P-R that wants to choke out what God wants to do in you. Now, cares, pleasures, and riches are not necessarily a bad thing. I'm of the mindset and of the theology and of the conviction that Jesus wants to bless you. He gave us a beautiful planet for us to enjoy. He wants to see your life fulfilled. There's some things that God wants to pour out on you that you know, some would say, well, you know, we're gonna live in poverty and miserable and it's gonna be, that's what it's like to be a Christian. I don't believe that at all. In fact, the Bible says that of Israel, he wanted them to become uh, something that caused the rest of the world to be jealous when they looked at the blessing on their lives. I think that's God's plan for his people, that when people look at our lives and how fulfilled we are and how joyful we are and how blessed we are, that there's something in them that goes, I want what's on their life and we can point to Jesus, not not the blessings themselves, but the source of the blessing and say, hey, this is all found in him. I believe that wholeheartedly. But those cares, those pleasures and those riches they can become a bad thing if they are not in the proper order in our lives hey it's cool to like enjoy the pleasure of travel and to see the world if god has blessed you to the point where you can go see the world and you can explore and you can go up and down the coast and enjoy life by all means that's a great thing until it keeps you from the house of god and the community of believers And there's a greater value on that than the things that God desires for your life. Riches are not a bad thing. I love rich people. They're the best. Until those riches become the excuse for working late hours, never seeing your family, never being able to invest in the house of God or serve other believers because you're constantly being taken away by your job, or God forbid that we just amass a whole bunch of riches for ourselves, and we never realize that the reason God blessed us was so that we could be a blessing to other people. That's where riches become a bad thing. The cares of this world, they're not necessarily bad things. We are emotional beings. God created us that way. Until those cares become the idols that put God in second place and we're more concerned about those things than we are about what he has to say over our lives. It's all about how we prioritize these things, he said, there's some other stuff growing up in your life. Now, if that doesn't resonate, I'll give you a San Francisco term for it. Crowded dirt is basically just a fancy way of saying busy dirt. (laughs) I have this conversation all the time. Oh, man, it's so good to see you. I know it's been like 18 weeks since I've seen you at church, but, you know, I've been really busy. You know, it's been busy. It's busy. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I'm an important person. I got busy, busy, I I get it. I get it. You're busy. You're important. Oh, I'm sorry I couldn't come to the prayer meeting. I'm sorry I didn't return your call. Sorry I didn't return your text message. Sorry. I've just been so, so busy. Listen, if you're so busy that you cannot commit to the things that God values, then it might be time to do a little weeding in your garden. It might be time to simplify. It might be time to take some things out of your life so that you can prioritize that which God prioritizes. And listen, I'm not saying don't go see the world. I'm not saying don't go on vacation. Listen, travel, go on vacation. If your job causes you to work on the weekends occasionally, there is no condemnation at all. What I am saying is that Jesus made it very clear where our priorities should lie. Matthew chapter six, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the stuff you really want will be added to you on the other side of prioritizing the kingdom first. I'm not trying to heap guilt on anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel like, you know. okay, well, the pastor's tell me I should change. Listen, that's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job and he is way better at it than I am. But you know whether or not the kingdom is prioritized in your life. You know when you close your eyes and you do the mental account of where your life is at, if God is first. And if he's not, you might find yourself in some crowded dirt and it's time to get rid of some stuff and simplify so that you can seek first the kingdom. Last one, and this is the one that we all should be, good dirt, good dirt. Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, hey, you look like good dirt. <laughs> good dirt. All right. I'm gonna, in fact, let me invite the band up to give the illusion that I'm stopping soon because I probably should according to the clock. Luke chapter eight, verse 15. The seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, they cling to it, and they patiently produce a harvest. That is God's desire for all of our lives, that they would that we would all produce a harvest, that we would live fruitful lives. And here's how we become the good dirt that he's referring to here. He said good-hearted people, good dirt. Once we've addressed the hard-heartedness, once we've gotten rid of the rocks, once we've uncrowded the garden and we've made sure that the soil is good, here's what makes us good-hearted people. He said they have the ability Whoa, touch them, Jesus. They have the ability (laughs) to cling to the seed and patiently produce a harvest. Cling to the seed and patiently produce a harvest. To stay there long enough to see a harvest. Uh, I brought dirt with me today. And um, I have a a few apple seeds here. And this is good dirt. I, uh, I bought it at the store, so it's great dirt. <laughs> it's uh, got all the nutrients it needs to, uh, to really grow some seeds. Now, if I took this apple seed and I buried it inside that dirt, picture this is a much larger vase, of course. Um, if it stayed there long enough, and it was watered and it was exposed to the sunlight, eventually that little seed will produce an amazing tree, where you can find hundreds of apples that have other seeds on the inside of them and they'll produce after their own kind and something amazing will come out of that little seed. But that seed has to stay in the ground long enough to take root. Otherwise, it's gonna jump out of there and look exactly like it did when it went in. Imagine if this dirt just got really frustrated, like you're taking forever to turn into an apple tree. I am sick and tired of waiting for you to become an apple tree. That's it, get out of here. And he boots out the seed. Well, even though it looks like good dirt, it wasn't clinging to the seed long enough to patiently produce a harvest. It has to stay long enough to put down roots. Let me give you another word or spelling for patient, ready? T-I-M-E time. God said in Genesis chapter 8, as long as the earth remains, in other words, as long as we're here breathing, this principle is going to prove to be true. There will be seed, time, and harvest. No one of them mutually exclusive. You got to have all three. If you want a harvest, you have to have seed and time. Here's the equation. Seed plus time equals harvest. If you wanna harvest in your marriage, if you wanna harvest in your finances, if you wanna harvest in your purpose, if you wanna harvest in your job, if you wanna harvest in your relationships, seed, time, then harvest. We love the seed. God, thanks for doing something new in my life. This is amazing. We love the harvest. My prayers are answered, we have a baby. We hate the time we hate the time i was talking to michael who was baptized this morning earlier this week and we were sitting down for uh, breakfast and i said hey remind me again what you do for a living and he said oh um, i work in uh in hydroponics i said oh so you sell weed cool uh and he's like no 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 i i i work in hydroponics and we 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 work with lettuce and i'm like oh the devil's lettuce okay yeah i get it okay and he's like, no, more on like iceberg and kale and like romaine. And I'm like, oh, okay, you work with real lettuce. And he says to me, our, our company has engineered this system whereby from seed till harvest, you can get a full head of lettuce in 12 days. He said, in 12 days? He said, yes, and it tastes better than the stuff that grows in the ground. You don't know, have to deal with all the pesticides. and stuff. I mean, it's just amazing. It's great lettuce from seed to harvest, 12 days. That's it. What would normally take months takes days and I said hey I'm using that in the sermon this weekend he said go ahead I said you sure you don't sell weed right he's like no that's not what it is. okay good why because I think that's what all of us want we want a 12-day harvest we want the fulfillment and the fruit of what God has to offer us without having to embrace the season of time but Jesus wrote this scripture well before hydroponics ever showed up on the scene there is an unavoidable principle called time in our lives. And if we are going to see what God wants to produce in our lives, if we want the fruitfulness, we have to be committed to the season of time. Time is the crucible that where the roots are allowed to go down deep enough into our hearts to produce not just a momentary change, but a lasting change, fruit that will remain. And if we stay planted long enough and we stay rooted long enough and we allow his word to go down deep into our hearts and we cling to it patiently, the fruit will be sweeter. The fruit will be more enjoyable for everyone else around us. It will be the fullness of what he has for us. We just have to be willing to commit to the season of time. So I'm gonna end with this question. Where are you trying to escape from right now where God is saying, stay planted. Where are you trying to run? Where God's like, just stay here a little longer and your roots are gonna go down a little bit deeper. Pray again, believe again. Just put your foot down and say, I'm not gonna be moved in this thing. And I promise you there is a harvest coming on the other side of it. Because as long as the earth remains, As long as I've given you a seed in your heart and you're willing to endure the time, there is an inevitable harvest that is coming. I believe there's a harvest for your finances. I believe there's a harvest for your marriage. I believe there's a harvest for your purpose. I believe there's a harvest for our city if we will just stay planted long enough to see it come to pass. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult you can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.